Welcome back to the Broken Poets Yopcast for January 10th, 2022. Our first Yop of the new year featuring poet Bernard Ferguson leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic formerly held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill, now on Zoom for the foreseeable Omicron future. This month's open mic lineup featured Cassidy Gabriel, Bridget Duffy, Arthur Russell, Stella Lee, Morgan Boyle, Vale Larkin, Harvey Sauce, Madeline Phillips, Seth Leeper, Gia Shakur, Todd Friedman, Jess Gagne, Ashley Hajimur Sadagi, Will Kiever, Yana Kane, Danielle Gasparo, David Sanua, Tamara Lee, Tawanga Leslie, and last but not least, Celeste Pepitone Nahas. So let's get right to the action, the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic for January 10th, 2022. Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic. Uh, I realized during the break that uh, I hadn't, I don't think I had turned my camera off and was like stuffing my face with this dinner I'm trying to eat while we do this. We'll see how that goes. So if, if I turn my camera off between poems, you'll just, you'll know what I'm doing behind the scenes. Uh, but uh, that's probably an overshare. Uh, we're excited to uh, kick off the Yop open mic again. Uh, if you weren't here for the workshop, uh, my name is Jason Koo, Executive Director of Brooklyn Poets, and uh, I am broadcasting and emceeing live from Sao Paulo, Brazil, which is two hours ahead of East Coast time in the United States. So it's 10.10 uh, 10 p.m. my time, and uh, we'll try to do this open mic as, as efficiently as possible so that I'm not uh, open micing still at midnight. Um, a couple of announcements before we begin. Um, if you have joined the Yop Open Mic before, we always record the Yop as a podcast that we call the Yopcast, uh, and uh, you can subscribe to that on iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast. We would love it if you would do that and rate us five stars, as it'll help more poets and poetry lovers find these fine poets that read for the Open Mic every month. Uh, and if you are reading tonight and don't want to be on the recording for any reason, that's okay. You can just uh, send me a message in the chat or email me and I can uh, edit you out of the recording. No problem. Uh, every month, we also vote for Poem of the Month. Uh, and uh, the way to do that is real simple. Uh, you send me a text message to 718-374-1953. I'm going to put that in the chat real quick. 718-374-1953. I'll repeat that a few different times throughout the night. We'll be screen sharing the poems uh, by each of the poets tonight, and we'll go over everyone's names at the end. You just need to tell me the poet's name, and that will constitute your vote. Uh, please just vote once. Uh, if you vote more than that, it's the same number it'll be coming from, so I'll see that you're voting more than once. Uh, every month, uh, whoever wins Poem of the Month is becomes one of the finalists for uh, Yacht Poem of the Year honors. Uh, some of you may have attended that event last December. Uh, that's always an amazing event, and uh, we will be working towards that uh, finalist list as we go through every month and get to December. 
Uh, I think the winner last month was Sharon DeYoung, who was the first finalist for the 2022 Yaw Poem of the Year Award. Um, and uh, I think that is all the announcements for the open mic. Uh, we'll be live tweeting the poems tonight. So if you are reading and uh, don't want to be tweeted to our Twitter following, uh, send a message to Paula, who will be doing that. We usually just share one quote from uh, each of the poems as we go, just to wear a way to share the love or to spread the glory of your poem to all of our uh, loyal Twitter followers. Um, Okay, uh, before we get to the open mic proper, however, we're gonna hear from our featured reader tonight, and that is Bernard Ferguson, who just led that workshop that you all took last hour, if you were here for that. So give it up uh, for Bernard. Hey, y'all. Uh, so happy to be here. Thanks to everybody that was in that workshop. Um, the workshop was on revenge, and the poetics of revenge and transformation. And so these two poems are about um, thinking about revenge and accountability. Uh, one's about climate change and one's about some other stuff. Um, so I'm very happy to be featured here with y'all. I'm just gonna read these two poems and then get ready to listen to your poems. Um, okay. Why make promises at all? This is, this is a poem about climate change, so hint. Why make promises at all? Why make promises at all if when the erosion erodes, there will be nothing left of the roots, not mine, nor yours, nor that of the grandfather Redwood, older than my life, older than the tally of years and lives that came before mine. Atrocities happen in the world of minutia, a few hundred thousand by the, by the second. For example, a child stomping victorious atop the head of the daffodil or the rain disappearing suddenly from one coordinate and then reappearing fused with the rain at another or the, the foreign cells metastasizing in silence until the tragedy is terminal. The silence, that's the problem. Right before you begin the journey across the grassland, coins in your pocket, blood in your heart, you'd think they'd tell you the truth. No one has to answer for anything. Someone decided death was the one bone we share, and we have been bending toward it altogether ever since. At least spike your dop dopamine. At least deplete what you cannot protect. Your narrative rivals the planet's narrative because they are the same. Despite our fortune, eventually ruin arrived. Oof. Okay, and so the second poem. This last poem is a uh, trigger warning for animal violence. Um, yeah, just a little heads up for that. Uh, and also, uh, I think there's a, I like, I like, I like gifting an experience um, for this poem. So if you, if you're on, please close your eyes. Don't look at me. Just close your eyes while you listen to this poem. Um, and I want you to imagine that you are, that you live in the suburbs, yeah? You've lived in the suburbs all your life, the suburbs somewhere, I don't know, in the Midwest, I don't know. And uh, you felt safe here and it feels great and calm and you love your home, you built a home you love. You have a, you have a yard, you have a lawn, um, you have a car, you have a driveway. Um, you, you live in the American dream, you know? Um, so keep your eyes closed, imagine that's your context um, and follow along as I read. Um, if you need to read the poem as I, as I read too, that's also fine, but just 
the idea is I'm trying to give you a little immersive thing here. Poem to be read at the end of the year. Suppose you find a rabbit with a neck wound among your hydrangeas. Suppose you take it inside, clean the wound, and gather a few soft things for a bed. Suppose you feed it milk, apples. You watch the gashed flesh close, glisten with scab and then fur. Suppose you let the healthy rabbit free. And because it trusts you now, it hovers in your yard and doesn't leave. Suppose there is a rabbit in your yard that loves your hydrangeas, your evergreens. Suppose soon another rabbit arrives. And for a while, there are two before there are many. You leave trays of water out at night. You give each one a child's name from a list of names you once made with a lover. Suppose one night you see the dull flash of a mink across your bedroom window and you wake to find a rabbit's severed head on your doorstep. Heads in the grass, a few in your verdant shrubs. First, you mourn as if you were being beaten. And then suppose you swear your fealty to revenge. Suppose in your kitchen, there's a butcher's knife and blood whirling beneath your fingertips. Suppose for weeks you waited, been vigilant, but nothing has showed. Suppose you realize severely there was no mink. There were never any rabbits. You are merely sitting in your own lawn, a weapon between your hands, and you were listening for the sound of a killer in your bushes. Thank you so much for having me, y'all. Um, I hope that wasn't too much of a, I don't know, <laughs> but. Uh, thank you so much for, for having me and, and if you played along with the experience game. Um, I'm so excited to hear your poems. Uh, let's get into it. All right. Damn, Bernard, that was amazing. Just look at the chat right now. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen the chat like that. It's like, wow, damn, amazing, like over and over and over again, which is uh, pretty much everything that's in my head. Um, so uh, thank you. It's always amazing to hear your poems. Um, so I'm going to probably share and then stop screen sharing all night. Usually I have two computers to do this. So it's a little bit uh, easier for me to see, but because uh, obviously I'm not gonna bring two computers to Brazil, that would be crazy. Um, uh, so just to be able to see what's happening, I might have to keep doing that, uh, but hopefully that doesn't become too annoying. Um, our next reader <laughs> of the evening and the first one off the open mic list proper is Cassidy Gabriel. Give it up for Cassidy. Hello. Okay, give me one second. Okay, great. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me, as usual. Elegy. I who rolled dice. I hard-boiled. I God-going. I fearing the muscle movement. I long-dress. I no-speak and no-speak. I propagating from the waist down into concrete. 
into strange and permanent earth, I spilling things, I trying to die, I orbiting the night, anointing it black, I hurt and I hurt, I licking the flames, teardrop shape clean, I wanting its honesty, I teething through the light, gums bloody numb tongue, I reciting the necessary organs in accurate positions, I alphabetizing the body, rearranging its parts, I locating the vernacular for you, for all of this, you portrait, you circadian character, all sharpness and fist and lip, you ignoring the body hungry, you three of spades and brother and brother, you needling the mouth bird that it might fly, I practicing the end, I shouting and then some, I doing the saving for us both. Thanks so much, everyone. Okay, thanks, Cassidy. And thanks again for signing up early so that we can hear you first. <laughs> you were Stella, always just kicking ass right at the start. Um, I'm only sad that that poem didn't go on longer, but <laughs> but uh, it was exciting to see Bridget Duffy's name next because Bridget is also amazing. Uh, so everyone give a warm welcome to Bridget Duffy. Hi, thank you. A lonely creature, neither wolf nor tiger, gazes out at come familiar trees across the park from the concrete enclosure in which it lives. We marvel at it and call it Benjamin, but we do it too late, last of its kind. So it goes, first we are hungry, tremendously hungry, and then we are sorry once there is no more left to eat. Goodbye to the dodo bird, to the aurochs, to the stellar sea cow, poor, fat, delicious things that met us outside Eden. Such pretty names they leave behind. Red rail, tarpan, Carolina parakeet. Their dead are numbered in specimen drawers, a foot, a feather, a wing in Xerxes blue. We whisper among ourselves with great solemnity, keeping a close record of these relics. A strange reverence and only a recent habit think how all those museums got their skins, but arrogance turns to regret and regret is easier than dread. After the cooling of our flue gas stacks, after the rising of the sea, after our bodies turn to pitch, will they admit us among them, do you think? The quagga and the great auk and the splendid poison frog, or will the thylacine chorus throw back their heads and sing us their saddest, oldest song. Um, <laughs> it was suggested to me that people not know what thylacines are. They're an extinct marsupial and I'm literally daily furious that we don't have them anymore. So justice for thylacines. I don't know what that looks like, but justice for thylacines. <laughs> okay, I agree. It's, <laughs> I've never heard of the thylacine, but I'm glad that uh, I've heard of it now. And I have a picture too. It looks like an amazing creature. Man, I'm sorry, I'm just taking in this note and this picture. Um, gonna have to Google this later. <laughs> Thanks, Bridget. You're welcome for the rabbit hole, guys. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Our next poet of the evening is Arthur Russell, reading a poem that uh, if you attended our mentorship program graduation ceremony last December, I believe uh, you heard then. Uh, Mr. Russell, take it away. Yes, good to see you. And I wanted to thank Bernard and also a little unusual, but I really got a lot of guidance on how to deal with uh, Bernard's prompt when I heard Tonga's uh, poem. It was It was so focused on wishing for a different um, different milieu in which to experience life. And I was grateful for that. Well, this one is um, came out of a workshop I did with Josh Megan. Um, it's called Miss Marion Moore. I, I could get you a pair of socks, I would have said to Marion Moore. If my mom had befriended her arranging flowers in a class at BBG and invited her over for dinner. If she'd come via brown steel subway some snowy winter day in 64 from the house where she lived with her mother at 260 Cumberland Street, a few blocks east of the Williamsburg Bank building, wearing the full length mink she called the monster and creamy white kid gloves. On the four train from Atlantic to the junction of Flatbush and Nostrand, and then walked in the downpour of fat, wet snowflakes the rest of the way down Nostrand, and right onto Avenue I and past the blocks and houses where my childhood friends lived on East 29th, East 27th, East 26th, past Bedford, and then left on 24th Street soaking her feet along the way when she stepped between the shoveled humps of snow they tunneled through at corners in one or more gray slushy pools. If the ice water there had sloshed inside her rubbers, and if my mom had met her at the door and said, come in, Miss Moore, how brave to venture out, and took her black felt hat with the rumpled crown and took her monster coat the discernible animal smell of which, revived by rain and homey warmth, intrigued our dog Sandy, who unhurriedly would have waddled out of the kitchen with uncut nails across the parquet floor to sniff. And if my mom, ignoring that, had pulled the pale woolens, blue woolen scarf just halfway up the sleeve and hung them up, and if Miss Moore had sat down on the bottom step and hiked the skirt of her long black dress to take her shoes and rubbers off, and if I had been standing there, just leaning on the newel post, waiting to be noticed while she unlaced her slender, manly wingtips and wiggled the toes of her long white feet, the seams of her untorn nylons very straight across the gnarly knucks of her big toes and looked at me looked up at me, an eight-year-old, still taller as she sat there than she was. And if as she was looking up and down that long white nose of hers, her owl eyes lit, she'd smiled with her old lady teeth like saws to say, hello, I would have said it then. I, I could get you a pair of socks. And if I had, and she had said, how nice, and what's your name? I would have said, I'm Arthur. I'm a poet just like you. 
though she might not have heard me because I might have swallowed half my words, embarrassed as I sprung and leapt, immediate as light behind her up the stairs to get a pair of socks for her. And the ones that I would pick, beyond a doubt, were loosely woven thick gray yarn with a wide red border at the top, the socks I liked to wear when I was sick and stuck in bed, my favorites, nothing less. And if I had, and then came down, and Miss Moore was waiting for me with the sweating, clinking gin and tonic mom would make her in her, in her hand so that she needed help from me to put them on, I would have used the techniques instructed by my father I had learned, not to drag a sock on by its cuff, but rather dig thumbs in, then gather up the calf and heel till all of it was ruched along my thumbs, and then unfurl those pleats from toe to instep, over arch and under heel, brushing her ankles with my thumbnails along the way while she observed me, while Miss Moore watched me with her smiling owl eyes lit and frankly helped a little by flexing and pointing at the most propitious times. And when I'd done and patted her foot to say, all done, as my mom had done for me, then I could say forever, that I'd knelt at the feet of Miss Marion Moore and dressed her in the socks I liked to wear when I was sick. Thank you, everybody. And thank you so much, Bernard. I'm gonna work on that prompt again later. All right, thank you, Mr. Russell. Good socks and Miss Marion Moore. Uh, you're gonna need to write a companion poem for uh, Neruda maybe. I only write about Brooklyn poets. And I wanted to ask you, how did you come up with the number 54 that you put on the back of the Marion Moore Brooklyn Poets shirt? First of all, it's number 56. 56. Okay. Second of all, just go to our swag store and you can read the description there and it'll answer your question. I've had this shirt for so long. I don't remember if it was on the swag store. I'm going to shut up now. Bye. Thank you. Go to the store, read the description, and then uh, I don't have to edit it out of the podcast later. <laughs> Um, okay, our next reader tonight is the wonderful Stella Lee, who uh, you heard from if you attended the workshop earlier tonight. Stella Lee. Hello. Hey, here we go. You were talking at the bar. In the back, on a pleather couch, I wanted to venture off. There were so many people at the meetup moving between New York and Seoul. Some planning to go, others just coming back. I spoke my memories, let Korean phrases flutter past my ears, caught some long enough to make sense, commented on the way time makes space feel lighter. It was late. I had to go home. The train ride would be long and the bus ride longer, yet I couldn't seem to leave. I didn't drink, but smiles are intoxicating. In three weeks, Jen would be whisked away to teach English in Daegu. My heart sank. I had tried to do the same, but the contract to work in Pyeongchang fell through. Now, months later, I laid my dream to rest. My heart still wandered, still longed for a fresh start. I didn't tell anyone, didn't talk about how I found a piece of home in Onsang as I held my feverish daughter into the calm of Korea's dawn. 
There was right before morning that I found the sweetness I lost so long ago since living in New York. All these years of searching and there it was in Korea, a place where the time difference was like living in the future while my body still clung to yesterday. I wanted to feel each day a little longer, but then there was night when my daughter would wake up looking for play. Like a lost character in a fairy tale, my daughter slept all day and as soon as the sun hid, awake. I would rest between sunrise and sunset, sleeping during those crepuscular spaces. I was in a fairy tale and that night was different. I saw the morning glow, pink, thin, amber, warm and inviting. The smell of a night birthing into the morning calm, a new day filled with so many possibilities. Since then, all I could do was crawl around searching for another time with that memory. Another time where I could feel the sun's promise leak through my window. Another time where I could feel like I was home. I found it in you, at the bar, sipping a tall glass of water. Joy radiated around your chair, your eyes, that smile, how your black hair touched the rim of your glasses. Everything around you was luminous. Thank you. Okay, beautiful work. Was that your kid in the background at the end? Sorry, that was June. Yes, my baby. <laughs> uh, I feel like this poem hit hit all of my sweet spots. <laughs> You've got Korea in here. You've got Daegu, where my family is from. And you also have the word crepuscular in here, which is one of my favorite words. Well, maybe my favorite felonious monk song, Crepuscular with Nelly. You might have to rename this Crepuscular with Korea. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's lame. Maybe that's too much alliteration. Just a thought. Uh, well done. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next poet of the evening is uh, another fine poet, one of our Yacht Poem of the Year finalists, as Stella was. Uh, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, Stella. I feel like we've heard from many Poem of the Year finalists already. Cassidy, Arthur, Morgan Boyle, how are you living? Hello. Um, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like it's maybe not so okay, but... Uh, uh, yeah, um, I'm going to read... Um, hanging in there? <laughs> I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. I'm on a five-day quarantine, so... All right. Uh, so this poem, uh, like trigger warning for suicide in this, and also, I don't know, it's a, it's a, this is a very ugly poem about a complicated situation, so, okay. Um, I wrote you a poem about cockroaches and I am sorry that you are dead now. You're dead and I'm bad at emotion, so I'm gonna write a poem about cockroaches. You're dead and I'm bad at emotion, so I'm gonna write a poem about cockroaches. You're dead and I am bad at emotion. I am bad at emotion. I am bad at emotion. You're dead and I'm gonna write a poem about cockroaches. Cockroaches, baby cockroaches. The first thing my eyes regretted seeing. You chose to be dead, so here's a poem about cockroaches. I see them in all the places they are not. I am not, I don't see them. They aren't there, they are there. I do see them, you were there. I saw you there, 
haunted by you there, unable to enter your apartment again because you were there. God, I loved your apartment. And to think it's only going to be the priest setting foot in there. Somebody called the priest in there. They're classifying your death as violent. In there with the priest and what's left of you is the rooms and the cockroaches you didn't have. There are the ragged left behinds of the violence and there will be a lack of me. A lack of me there in your apartment where I cannot go again after last seeing you there. I choose to expedite the cockroaches that aren't there. Have you seen the time I've got on my hands? Are they from where they aren't so that even if they weren't there, they most definitely aren't there will not be there. You aren't here. I cannot convince myself that you are here in the way that I can with the cockroaches. Are you in the cockroaches? Are you behind the fridge? Are you under the stove? Once I woke up and swore you and they were there under my bed all dead, but there weren't even cockroaches. Just a suitcase that you never saw on a trip we never took and Christ, I was alone. I've been alone. I've been full of people every day. I'm scared of dealing with the loneliness that you left. Do you know how alone I am? I feel nothing for the cockroaches that aren't here. They don't make me feel not lonely. I am lonely within the city that you left wherein we were everywhere. I'm haunted by the city you built me. The city you built me full of cockroaches, full of cockroaches and lacking you. I am a little bitch and I am lonely. Here are my hands, hold them cold. Here is my hair, bleach it down. I want to shine for you in the way you do and all the photos I have, I hold, I paste up next to my work desk. No one who uses that space should not know that you once existed and that you were my best friend who made fun of me for my silly little fear of cockroaches, my big fear of cockroaches. You saw the big cockroaches once and told me you got the fear. I felt validated. We ate macaroni and cheese. It was the day after your last birthday. And fuck you, this is still a poem about cockroaches. But I've got a fear of you now. A fear of you in the way that I last saw you now. A fear of the dark and your hallway and your bathroom and the way legs can be laid down. When you moved into that apartment, I smoked a cigarette across the street. I never knew that someday I'd be laying, I'd, be, I'd lay screaming into that pavement. If I ever see the cockroaches, for real, for real. I'll be up all the night thinking of you. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Morgan. Powerful poem, uh, love it. Um, yeah, not much to say, uh, but thank you. Our next reader tonight is uh, Vale Larkin, who uh, some of you heard from during uh, our sharing time at the last uh, hour of the workshop. Sorry, I can't put sentences together. Vail. Hi, Bernard, I loved your workshop. And I have to tell you, I have a book with an editor right now called Curie for the Anthropocene. So we're on the same page. The mystifying persistence of irrelevant shame. You all want us to. You all love when we stand up and speak out. Such applause behind the scenes. Also, you don't have to step up 
first stand out and your admiration for our strength feels like glass in our chests. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to help. You don't know why I'm bringing all this out and piling it up around us, displayed and arrayed so every detail shines and we cannot pretend that we just don't know anymore. Sure, it's easy when the syllables flow like liquid miracles, life-giving rhythm and the rush, the fucking rush, of witnessing passion, pain, and power pumped to eleven because severing truth from excitement makes it so much harder to swallow. So we follow the flock and we scream, shout, and bellow so some part of our voice will ring out in this melee. No one listens when you're tired. Plain words about pain are not bright and exciting because naked displays of the fragile and frail seem to rouse up our shame that we walk, that we break and remake, that we see, that we labor in sameness while others walk ranges, blood on the peaks, every leap life-changing. As we stand in the foothills confused by the pain in our own souls, wondering why they are so much stronger as though shorter knives matter through such thin feet. Shameless. That's what we must be, not fearless, never cold in the face of all this heat, all this rabid insanity, without shame, because shame is like blame. It's condemnation inflamed, and it's what's holding us all back every time we sit down or stand down, every time we find reasons within for not acting when action is all that will win, when winning is everyone, and there are no losers, and we're all in this thing, this planet, this exact same house together. So stand up when it hurts, and speak when it burns. Because this is how shame dies, at your feet, silenced by your voice, and slain by the knowledge that you have done something, anything, to resist the destruction. All right, thanks very much, Phil. It's a great poem of resistance. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm eating, but uh, I, I'm tongue tied a little bit. So I apologize. But uh, I hope you know how much I love this poem and uh, wish that you would scream it from the rooftops every, every day. Our next poem of the night or poet of the night is poet and poem Harvey Sauce. Yeah, I'll try to bring a poem to the uh to the poem fight, as it were. Um, first of all, I, I should just note that I put in the uh, the chat, uh, as I generally do, an invitation to Artful Dodger's Poetry's next uh, open mic on uh, Saturday the 22nd. There's uh, an Eventbrite link in there, or you can just contact me at Poet Sauce if you care to read. Um, the uh, I, I had to laugh when I heard the the opening poem reference rabbits. Uh, this does too, but in a slightly different context. Uh, this is a poem actually it was written, Jason, um, during your honeymoon, as I recall. So, um, not one I, I think you'd have heard. Wild thing, I think I love you. Maybe it was one kindred spirit recognizing another the Northern goshawk seeing in me a sort of deep woods Hawkeye character, undomesticated as he was, though of a less enduring nature. Living an outdoors life yet unable to put down roots, 
Perhaps that's why he let me feed him mice from my kitchen being a no short supply, nor trapped rabbits that will never trouble a garden again. Once I remember he took a live mouse from my hand while I held the creature by its tail, holding steady as an artist's model, showing no fear my newfound friend could have sensed and jumped on claws and beak rending flesh beyond the healing properties of unguents and band-aids. If not quite a confidant during a short stay, recalibration of getting myself straight and certainly a sometime companion who might perch on the peaked roof of my rental cabin several times a week, more quietly than any provincial theater group's reprise of Fiddler on the Roof, a Tevier more interested in mice than money, pray than prayer. From his favorite spot next to an unmoving weather vane, likely not oiled in the century, he watched me chop wood and stack it, withdraw captured rabbits from cages to be shared out for supper, dining al fresco, even in the worst weather. I didn't feed him clearly mail every time I saw him, not wanting him to become too dependent on my handouts, lose those sharp-eyed hunting skills he would continue to need when I was gone. It was an understanding that we had nothing of the broke back mountain sort, nothing Freudian about it, just a couple of wild things sharing a meal in the earth-sacks black forest of Maine. Occasionally in a role reversal, he would bring me some bird he had caught knifed out of the sky, a lesser aerialist on the circus food chain, dropping it near me as if repaying a debt as a cat might. I would make a show of accepting it gratefully, proudly marching the dead thing into the house where I coffined it in an appropriately sized Ziploc to be buried after he had flown away. No disrespect intended or taken. In like manner, we passed several months together while I searched for my voice and he grew his reputation, yellow eyes reflecting his adolescence a Maine's own crow killer and winged assassin somehow having escaped the notice of Stephen King. The raptor wasn't there to see me go, fully fledged by then and probably out hunting. For my part, I had achieved some small measure of wilderness self-sufficiency, having learned from his example how to tear the still beating heart out of a living thing. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Harvey. So, I mean, was this a? Did you write this poem because you were missing me while I was on my? Oh, but it may very well have been. I mean, I saw the picture of of your your lovely wife doing like handstands on the beach, and I had to take solace in Maine because I didn't have a lovely wife of my own to do handstands on the beach for me. You know, okay. uh, some of us, you know, probably an overshare. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know go for it <laughs> you open the door you open the door that is uh definitely an interesting inspiration for a poem <laughs> yeah. i'm not sure that was the actual inspiration but i wanted to give you some credit okay all right thank you harvey sauce <laughs> our next poet of the night is uh another uh yap of the year finalist from last year madeline phillips how you doing I well I'm cat I'm just like that was a great laugh that 
um, anecdote. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm doing well. Thank you, Bernard, for the workshop tonight. I found it really healing and I'm never able to write very quickly. Um, so I always just have garbled notes, but I'm really, I'm hoping to turn what I wrote into something for next month. So excited. Um, this is the poem that I wrote like in the height of the OG pandemic <laughs> before our variant friends. They're not friends, they're terrible. Um, but it feels relevant right now. And I, yeah, so I'm gonna read it. Uh, 12. Has my body always been a weapon? It takes one sigh to extinguish a flame and one second to decide to step on a spider. If we're all gods, who's to blame if the curve refuses to flatten? Time to return to baking unleavened bread. There's a shortage of yeast, a rise in crime. The state of emergency bleeds bright red. When I was 16, I read myths and wished I'd wake up one day with a gorgon's gaze so that I could make the staring men stiff in a different way. I can't discern days from years. Tell me, how long has one stray breath been the domino in a chain of death? Okay, nicely done. So I see this is 12. Is this part of a sonnet sequence? Um. Yeah, okay. So it was called Sonnet 12. All my sonnets are like sonnet and the number. But then I think it was at like the last of the, uh, at the, um, Oh my God, poet of the year thing um, that you were saying, or no, it wasn't that it was the, it was the workshop showcase because people there, someone shared a sonnet and then they were saying how their teachers said, never introduce the sonnet as this is a sonnet. <laughs> so I was trying to like, but I don't know, maybe that makes it weird. So maybe it'll just be sonnet 12. And I just won't say this is a sonnet I wrote. I, I think know. 12 is better, but good I, okay. job not, not saying this is a sonnet. Yeah. I've um Very I have job. written 12 sonnets. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, because we can all tell it's a sonnet. I mean. Right? Like you don't need a hat on a hat. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. I like it. Nicely done. All right. It was very relevant. Uh too relevant. Aggravatingly relevant. Ongoingly relevant. Um, our next poet of the night, Seth Leeper. How you doing, Seth? Hey, good evening. I'm good. How are you? Good. Go for it. All right. Uh, first, I just want to thank Bernard for the workshop. And if you guys have the opportunity, please take a workshop with them. They are amazing. And I just want to thank everyone for the work that they've shared and sharing the space. Um, a lot of it's been very cathartic. Um, all right. So this is called Sympathy for the Devil. I'm going to read it off the page. Sympathy for the Devil. The monster wasn't under our beds, but sleeping across the hall, making breakfast in the morning. She didn't have claws or spiky teeth, but her words were biting, her dismissal complete. She didn't slither around corners or hide in our closets, but she did slide across a couch once intervened by my father. She didn't coerce with force or bruise with fists, but her shrieks could vibrate in our deepest consciousness, reverberate across dreamscapes. She did resort to name calling. She'd want nothing more than to see me shot clean through the door, back to where I came from. 
Yes, I would sleep with a lock on the door, one eye open to the den ceiling. And though she would insert herself into future terrors, and the light that is hindsight, I see her full outline. It's less monster, more wounded animal who suffered too many kicks, whimpered and feigned bites at a loss. I can feel how cold her loneliness is, despite the white throw blanket where she sits on the couch, peeling oranges, drinking scotch, and I understand. Wow, thank you, Seth. I love that ending. I love the whole thing, but the uh, it turns into that last line and I'm just like, I, I can see where this is going and it's perfect. Um, all right. Thank you very much. Seth Leeper has been killing it. Our next reader, uh, I remember Gia from a long time ago, but uh, it's good to have you back. I can't, I don't know how long it's been since you last read for the Yacht, but uh, welcome back. Hi. Hi. Go for it. Uh, okay. Um, sorry, I was just like trying to pull it up right here. Build me a boat, said the girl. Sand rushing from her nose. Truth was sprout up as angel plants and cut her lady homes. Scraped into our foreheads with the knuckle bones of the ascended. Bear witness. The god kids will dance from bear gardens to trap houses. Hearts are Velcro. Astronaut. We'll pull off when necessary. Carve the ore from her with your bare nails. Not forgotten. They ate the woman eater the whole. Pick the blood out the lining of their nail beds with shaved brow bone. Selfless in how they let their flesh fall into ashy hands like pulled pork. How to give yourself to ancestral ligatures plus other self-deprecating rituals. They lick the back of graceful mouths, laugh until it wraps along the carpet as a bow. Awesome. You found a little guy girl on the beach today. It started with Michael was pissed. I know machine can't feel, dummy can't see. Oh, then we can't see a dogma talk. Junebug, the two head conjures girl god from salt water and nature, eyes black. Her teeth are made of whale waste. Her mouth is a perfume jar. Bring her to Honey Bun Ave, said C, the hothead. We're the Oman food, men crab dangling from their jaw. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Gia. Oh, it's great to have you back. That poem was fire. Her teeth are made of whale waste. That is chilling. I don't even know where that comes from, but that is amazing. Um, okay. Thanks very much, Gia. Our next reader tonight, uh, another finalist from last year's Yapon the Year contest, and uh, currently one of our 2022 mentorship program students, Todd Friedman. How you living? How are you? Good. Go for it. Okay, the Samson of your time. We had a photo of your grandpa, circa 1910. You're sitting with your arm resting on the right side of a small round table, while Harry has his left arm on the other side as you face the camera. Sam stands in the middle, behind the table with his hand on your right shoulder. It's a posed picture in a photographer's studio. You're all wearing suits and nobody's smiling. I know. You didn't do that then. 
I'm sure it was just a passing moment in your life, Grandpa. But I have to tell you, I'm blown away, not only to see you with two of your brothers whom I never knew, but for the first time to see my likeness, my features in your face. You are about 22, the youngest I've ever seen you with a full head of hair. You were known as the Starker, and I can see your muscular features. But Harry looks like a bruiser with his broad chest and tough guy face. I'll bet he had to use his fists too. Not even a father yet, let alone a grandfather. In fact, I'm three times your age at this point. But to see my face in yours, or at least the face I once had, makes me feel that some part of me was already forming in those first 19 years of your life in that shtetl near Minsk, a life you kept tightly wrapped like the dishes you packed in barrels so they wouldn't shatter. You did talk about a Russian soldier who dared any Jew in town to fight him, how you broke his leg and had to hide. You must have brought that with you on the subway and you threw a man off and who yanked on the beard of an elderly Jew. And you did tell how you could cut apples in, your, in half using your fingers like scissors. So much strength the Samson of your time. But when I tried to learn more about your life in Russia, I knew I would feel your clenched teeth fury. What's the difference if you know or you don't know? But here I am, Grandpa, still probing that question, looking at another photo of you holding Uncle Marvin as a baby on your bicycle seat, circa 1928. I never even knew you rode a bicycle. There's not a lot of light in the photo and your face is out of focus. But even with your mouth closed, it looks like there's a hint of a smile breaking through. You are wearing a white uniform with a satchel over your shoulder. I can see you as you make your deliveries in Brooklyn. I now cycle this Brooklyn turf, looking for some part of myself that slipped away. I imagine stopping and finding you at a traffic light. No, actually, you're here on the ride right now. Okay, thank you, Todd. Another great poem. Doing a lot of great work writing about uh, your family and memory. I just feel like you've been doing this like every yacht for the last two years we get like another chapter <laughs> in this clearly a book you're writing uh exploring your family history and it's it's fantastic stuff thank you okay our next poet just get gagne yes if uh, i remember from last month yes thank you yes uh welcome glad to have you back go for it okay i feel like I have to preface this a little bit because again, I was editing like right up until I shared it. And um, uh, the title is kind of like a little inside joke I have with myself because I was supposed to write a new poem and I was trying to write a poem about how I'm rereading the Odyssey, but um, I didn't. So um, I ended up like stitching some old poems together um, and I've made like a few edits since I sent it, but it's called Nemesine, who 
um, is the, the Greek goddess of memory and mother to the muses. So I was sort of joking with myself because, you know, the muse wasn't coming. Anyway, <laughs> Nemesine. Through the pains of time and memory at the reading, I look at everyone's shoes, remembering the study, concluding that children can know their mothers from the toes up or only from the knees down, half empty or half full, a small specific window for love. Now in my present mind, I only know one tree from roots to branches, every curve of the bark under my hand as though its topography was my own. I know there was a time when I was bursting with thoughts of you like ripe fruit, and I had only to twist and pull gently to yield a fresh thing. Remembering the vibration of our bodies together like a singing skin, corporeal symphony, working frenetic to bring forth a true song. With you, I tried endlessly to walk that song across the threshold, to welcome it into this room, the world. Each time it felt as though I could persuade and coax a new melody from potential to substantial on that kinetic canvas stretched between us further and further as if that would hold its weight. There we were suddenly, ripe, new, wet. I cupped my hands to hold it, something for us to offer together as thanks. But then from under the brim of your straw hat, I watched the future rumbling beneath my feet, the earth rolling like waves, crashing cymbals, the pavement cracked and yawning, and I wondered about progress, whether there can be any movement forward in this mess. You sift through the cracks like sand, look back at the pillar of salt that I am. Okay, thank you. I see what you did there at the yeah, end. Yeah, sorry. You flipped the order. Um, yeah. That was cool to come back to and see like, oh, great, it's still there. <laughs> uh, what a lovely poem. I love this on the first page. Where is it? I was bursting with thoughts of you like ripe fruit and I had only to twist and pull gently to yield a fresh thing. Beautiful lines. Thank you. Um, yeah, and if you didn't tell that whole story about the Odyssey and whatever, <laughs> we wouldn't have known any of that. Right. We just thought this is a brilliant new poem that you wrote. But I mean, it's brilliant nonetheless, so no worries. <laughs> um, okay, uh, we're on to our next poet, a uh, former Brooklyn Poets fellow. Try to remember how to pronounce your name right, Ashley. Ashley Hajimersadegi. 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 Sorry, I went back and checked my old emails with you. I was practicing, but I got it wrong. Hedgemer Sadagi. Two years to practice, but. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's great to have you back. Go for it. And I'm glad to be here. Uh, quick preface. This is an acrostic poem, and obviously the painting's not here, but the painting is a girl in an evening gown just sitting in her bed holding a mannequin's hand. So that's the painting. I wish she would listen like a mannequin. In the beginning, we peel lychees in the dark, hold hands in our best Friday night dresses. My ma bought them for me, said, come home soon. I'll call you later. She never called. I sat by the landline for days, jumped every time and gasped to life. It was never her. So I tell you all about her. 
how we wear her finest costume jewelry, the ones she bought on sale that glimmers under LED lights. On a Brooklyn night, you almost look like her, lean, hovering over me with a cold hand clasped over mine, hooked nose. You swallow the rain's poetry, sing it better than Ma ever could. We never got bedtime lullabies. I don't care for people. That boy and I broke up on a holy day after two years. He cried, but I didn't. After going home, saw him on Spotify, listening to a compilation of sad early 2000s emo rock. He always was a Linkin Park fanboy, but denied it every time. There was nothing wrong with it, but for some reason, he felt shame anyways. I deleted my Spotify account right then and there, quickly became accustomed to the silence. I stopped speaking. I was addicted to the lack of noise, to how easily I could hear the newlyweds next door having sex and the college student upstairs blasting lo-fi at 1 a.m. My friends disappeared one by one, and on a muggy Tuesday, I discovered a broken mannequin on the sidewalk next to the bodega. I took it home, dusted it with soap and an old rag. Its wrist still looked broken, hand crookedly pressed away from the waist. I thought it was perfect, made it gaze out the window as I cleaned the apartment for the first time in months. No one ever noticed how I failed to clean properly, grime pressed into the crevices of the cheap bowls I'd bought at a thrift store. No one ever looked me in the eye when they came over. It was like they didn't know how to look or speak to me anymore. I don't sleep as much as I used to. Now I talk too often. I made curtains out of dresses and spare tablecloths. You say it's lonely here. I've heard that story before. People always come into another's life to leave. I weave my secrets into the heavy fabrics of my childhood. Quilts, silk pillowcases mother bought, linen trousers that no longer fit. It's so easy to fill silence, talk about how gloomy the weather has become or the stock market. I don't think it's lonely here. Not anymore. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you, Ashley. Beautiful poem. So sorry I screwed up the scrolling, but uh, once I... Screwed okay. it up. It was hard to recover, <laughs> but had nothing to do with your poem, which is great. Uh, and it's great to hear from you again. Uh, it's great. It's always great to have the fellows come back and and read at the yop. Okay, uh, I believe we're getting close to the end of the night. Our next poet is Will Kiever. Glad to have you back. Uh, thanks for having me. So this one's called uh, the Rockaway Bunkers. Their former tenants were nuclear missiles until the fort was decommissioned in the 70s. Now the muskrats live rent-free. Vegetation sings liberation songs as it pushes through spindly cracks of concrete. The waves mute New York City buzz. Here, the cree of an osprey can echo. A lumbering snapping turtle retreats through the sand. A platoon of westbound dolphins guards the flanks of shore. And it is here at this beach we will make our offensive. Okay, interesting poem. Love it. Thank you, Will. I uh, love the imagery and love the, the scene that you're painting there. Um, okay. I think we've got like two or three left, if I can recall from my, my aging memory. Our next poet of the night is uh, another Yacht Poem of the Year finalist from last year, Yana Kane. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing fine. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Go for it. The dog stalls cannot stay here either. Sorry. Uh, epigraph. 
I cannot accommodate another animal now. Please understand. The cat has taken to scratching the bookcase. The veterinary shrink interprets. I've been spending too much time at home. Pom-Pom feels suffocated by this ongoing encroachment on her personal space. See that bird feeder in the backyard? Empty. Not a single cardinal had a go. The squirrels breach each new defense set in their way. They flaunt their aerial skill ever more brazen. The guppies, the guppies, the guppies. Fratricide, scale rot, accidental or suicidal jumping out of the tank. Just this month, two guilt-inducing goggle-eyed deaths on the living room floor. And then there are the daily Pegasus chores, feeding, watering, exercising the beast, marking his stall, his wings are molting again, feathers strewn everywhere, dud quills, no lift. Okay, what a what a droll poem. I love <laughs> I hope you like that adjective because I do. And that, that poem <laughs> described it. The guppies, the guppies, the guppies. Fantastic. Um, okay, our next poet of the night, Danielle Gasparo. Happy to have you back. I love this. Hi. Love this. The note preceding the poem. It's like <laughs> get ready. Oh. <laughs> well, sometimes form is content more than others, right? Yeah. So I just wanted to ensure. Okay, here we go. So this is, I'm just going to do a little hat tip to Morgan for address. You know, dr addressing death is like so esoteric and so elusive. So I just want to. Uh, uh, applaud you for that, Morgan. <clears throat> Some thoughts on grief. I just want to peel this orange. I just want to peel this orange. I want to peel this orange, orange, orange. I just want to peel this orange. I want to peel this orange with my bare hands and put a piece of the orange in my mouth. I just want to peel this orange. I don't understand why is the peel of this orange so thick. I want the orange peel off of this orange. I want this orange to be peeled. I want the thick peel of this orange to not be so thick, thick, thick. I do not want to get a knife. I don't, I will not, I won't. I do not want to. I don't, I can't, I just want to peel what you were saying. What were you saying? I do not know, you were looking down at your hands. You had stopped eating by then. It was so hard to watch you look down at your hands in the bed. You were crying, you were talking with a childish cry, crying out, not for me, not at me. You were looking down into your hands. They're so different, you said. I remember that, your voice cry cracking. What did you mean different? I said nothing as I stood there, 
looking at you, my father, you, the son, whole, still, a spirit in a man, brother, husband. You were in pain, you who I said nothing to, I did nothing. As you looked down into your hands, they were empty, your palms were open, curved upward, knuckles resting on your knees, you slouching forward over your hands, staring, crying, there you were in your bed with your hands. I will always hate the nothing that I did. Wow, thank you, Danielle. That was amazing. Thank uh, you. And uh, yeah, I think a proper shout out to Morgan as well. Your poems seem to be some way similar to each other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's touching. The form of both poems, yeah. Very yeah. amazingly resonant with each other. Uh, amazing form, you're right. Uh, here is, I think, no, it was important on the first page because it really, yeah. uh, it really was, I think, a remarkable form that you made here. Thank you, Jason. It means a lot. Thank you so much, you guys. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Our next poem, and wow, it's it's like the open mic is just like. The poems are all in sync tonight. Our next poet is uh, David, is it Sanua? Just a minute. Okay. Technical, technical difficulties. I'm not skilled at this stuff. She is. Okay. Uh, all right, are we okay now? I see now, yes. Okay, we're, 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 we're there. Okay, thank you. Sorry we didn't convert you earlier. I missed your name. All right, go for it. All right, sure. To dad one, you made me ill. I made me ill. I made you ill. Is this not wrong? Is this not right? Children break their parents' hearts all the time. Let us hobble together then, elbow in elbow, side by side into the vast domed dark night we have made for each other. No light toward our destinations, but the embers of love. Okay, thank you, David. It's a beautiful poem. Thank you. Um, yeah, and seemed to, to follow Danielle's poem very well. Um, I'm sorry again about the, the mix up at the break. Um, but I'm glad you got to share your poem with us tonight. Thank you very much. And I want to thank Bernard for his uh, comments at the beginning of the uh, uh, workshop. Okay. Thanks to Bernard again as well for me. Our next poet is Tamara Lee. I think this, I think we've got three poets left. Tamara, good to have you back. How you doing? And nice to see you. Thanks for staying up so late. Hey, it's no problem. I always stay up late. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, oh, sorry. Oh, oh sorry. I, just had, I think David was unmuted, but yeah, go ahead. It's a stacked, uh, stacked cast tonight with us poetry. So thanks uh, everyone for being here and just sharing this super amazing work. And also the Yop cast, thanks for producing those <laughs> for when I can't be here. Um, 
So yeah, this poem's a, a little bit older um, because I'm over here in French Canada learning to speak French and uh, now all my poems come out in Franglish and mangled English. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm diverting back in time, <clears throat> pouring out. I was washed over by your tidal wave, a wave not intended to be mine but it took me so forcefully and ripped with unexpected tides. It broke me open. I came pouring out myself from another time. My direction changed. A memory of what could have been left me sputtering and warm. The safe air and devilish liquid fought their battles in my lungs. And though I've never been amphibious, something about this made me want to try. Since then, I've been searching for your wave again, but I've only found the entire ocean and a connection laid across the shifting sand and this hopelessly dry shore on which to stand. Unyielding shells cut at my feet like the relentless, sensible advice, a truth. We only desert islands in search of a better home, but you hadn't yet unturned every stone. Now you're just a far gone fantasy, the cliche that's trapped me inside this poem. Of course, I'm telling stories here, but what is life but something we make up as we go? We bounce love off of things in hopes to hear it echo back. We squeeze, squeeze the moments in our hands in hopes to make them last. And me, I'm becoming romantically impossible. And I'll continue this way until I don't. Without a moon to reflect my reddened face, gathering every dove and olive branch in sight, sending them towards your starless, starless night, I'll repeat myself, pushed out and teetering on the sharp edge of my hopeful plight. So just by dawn, I may find my toes pressed up against a different morning light. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much. <laughs> Not Franklish at all. <laughs> I love, uh, what was this line? Me, I'm becoming romantically impossible. <laughs> uh, that's terrific. Um, I need a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> nice. um, what part of Canada are you in? I didn't know you were in Canada. Yeah, I'm up in Montreal now. Nice. So oh. that, that's the uh, hence the learning French. <laughs> yeah. Slowly learning French. <laughs> you think it would be safe up in Canada from the pandemic, but things have been bad up there too, right? Oh so. yeah, it's, it's real bad. And it's also really cold. So I'm envious of your warm location. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty warm in Brazil. Although it's been cold the last couple of days, but uh, overall it's been, it's been nice. nice. Uh, it, just, it just rains a lot, which is uh, obviously due to climate change. Um, okay, I think uh, we've got just a couple of poets left. Another poet we're happy to have back uh, after some time away. Uh, Tawanga Leslie, how you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be back. So you got a chapbook with a Brazilian artist. That's really cool. I do. And I realized that at could point to anything, but it is an Instagram at. So <laughs> yeah. if you want to learn more, they can go there. All right, go for it. An interruption. Something happened at work today that reminded me of you. 
I got in trouble for trying to insert myself into a conversation my boss was having with a client. It was alive between them like a river full of fish and I wanted to feel what they felt flying in it. But I asked a question at the wrong time and everything clattered to a stop. Ungraceful, like a hurt bird in the dirt. That was the wrong time to interrupt, my boss said, via text, under the table, and I was ashamed. Did you know that you should never touch a baby bird? Your touch changes his scent so other birds reject him. For some reason, I think about that all the time. The day you interrupted me, it wasn't a good time for love. But you kept saying you and only you until I said you back. And just like that, something within me clattered to a halt. That was months ago. I am still trying to restart. Thanks. Okay, wow. That was perfect, man. <laughs> I'm just I'm like stunned by this poem. Like the scene that you created here, it's almost like a little, like an Auden poem. It just has this parable-like quality, this conversation your boss is having, and then the way you you parallel it with it uh, to your own life. Anyway, I hope that made sense, but uh, great, it's a great poem. Thank you. There's a lot of emotional content at work. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. It's a great way to describe the conversation too, like a river full of fish. And I wanted to feel what they felt flying in it. And then I can really see it when everything clatters to a stop. <laughs> And, uh, and then the text under the table. Um, great stuff. Okay, uh, I think we're on to our, our final reader of the evening, and certainly not the least, uh, one of our new interns, Celeste Pepitone-Nahas, who uh, asked such a sweet question via email, like, I'm not sure if this is a poem. And is it a prose poem? I'm like, like it's absolutely a poem. You can certainly read it. So uh, go for it. Thanks. Um, thanks, Jason. Yeah, this has been such a wonderful night. And um, I'm so embarrassed because I have been putting little comments in the chat the whole time, but I accidentally had it set going only to hosts and panelists. So yeah. I made um, the same earlier tonight so don't, don't worry about it so um yeah i've really loved all the poems so far all right um this is called last trick i'm half dreaming when the flight attendant wakes me up look at this he says you want to see this but it isn't a question he stands in the aisle with three red ropes all different lengths like goldilocks and ties them into a loop when he pulls the knot free, the ropes line up evenly. He yanks them taut as proof. Poof. My smile is a signal, and after he strides down the aisle to deliver, he comes waltzing right back. Now he puts a miniature American flag in his hat and pulls out three solid colors instead, red, white, blue. What happened to the stars, I ask. He takes a playing card, puts it in a cardboard guillotine, and slices the queen of hearts in half. When he puts her back together, the man in the seat ahead with a silver earring and a couple of missing teeth says, damn, now where'd you learn a trick like that? Now the lights are turning on in the aisle. People are reaching for their phones. He shows us the inside of an empty bag, 
then withdraws case after case of plastic flowers, immortalized like high school boutonnieres, purple, green, gold. It makes me uneasy when he pulls a scarf from my sleeve. He dangles it above my head, dances around in his tight blue vest. We want to see a rabbit, comes a shout from the emergency row. Where do you keep your props, says a little girl waiting in line for the laboratory. Half the plane is watching now, and I can't stop smiling at the mother and daughter in my row. The daughter slumped asleep, the mother laughing so hard she's holding back tears. I'm thinking about the time you wrote, I have no fucking clue where this plane is headed when the flight attendant stabs a $100 bill with his pen and heals it with his palm. Now he's flipping a picture book, making the colors evaporate, and then the outlines too. Children are cheering. Grown men are falling to their knees and offering up their wives. She'd make a great assistant. She could make you rich. The flight attendant pulls a giant tube from his ear. He folds a balloon in the shape of a crocodile that groans into a swan. In the row across, I notice a man who won't look up. He's reading a heavy hardcover with a railroad trailing the spine. It makes me uneasy when things go one way, then another. It makes me uneasy when the man won't look at the magic. It makes me uneasy when he pulls a stone out from underneath my tongue. Wow, thank you. And to think you weren't sure if that was a poem. Uh, what was that? That was, that was magical. Um, I mean, <laughs> I guess almost literally. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you if all that happened, but uh, I'm not going to ask you that because I, I don't think that's the right question. Um, okay, uh, that I'm just make sure that is the end of the document. <laughs> that is indeed the end of our open mic. Um, let me put this in the chat again real quick. Um, make sure my chat is set to everyone. The number to vote. There's 718-374-1953. That's the uh, number to vote for Poem of the Month. Uh, just send me a text message with the poet's name. So you just heard from Celeste. See, see her name at the top of this. There you go. Before that, we heard from Tawanga Leslie. Before that, Tamara Lee, living in Montreal. David Sanua, before David, Danielle Gasparo, before Danielle, Yana Kane, before Yana, Will Kiever, before that, Ashley Hedgemer Sadagi. I hope I got that right, Ashley, second time, Jess Gagne, Todd Friedman, Gia Shakur, Seth Leeper. For Seth, Madeline Phillips, sonnet number 12. For Madeline, Harvey Sauce. For Harvey Vale Larkin, Mystifying Persistence of Irrelevant Shame, great title. For Vale, amazing poem, Morgan Boyle. For Morgan, Stella Lee, another, there's a lot of amazing poems tonight. For Stella, Arthur Russell, Miss Marian Moore. For Arthur, this poem with the amazing picture by Bridget Duffy. And I think we're all the way back to the beginning. Cassidy Gabriel with Elegy, I think, was the beginning of my guess. This is this is Bernard. Can't vote for Bernard. I mean, you can if you want, but Bernard can't win. So essentially, you'd be 
not wasting your vote, but <laughs> if you really want someone else to win, I suggest voting for someone in the, the open mic proper. Again, 718-374-1953. Uh, vote once. A um, couple of announcements again before we go. Uh, this will be a little bit of a repeat for some of you that were here earlier. Uh, again, we urge as many of you as possible to uh, apply for a Brooklyn Poets Fellowship to take a workshop for free or at reduced cost. We offer both full fellowships and partial awards to finalists and semi-finalists. Again, we haven't got many applications yet, although most of them, to be, to be fair, come in at like the last hour as poets normally submit stuff at the last hour. But uh, that deadline is just two weeks away, Sunday, January 23rd. Uh, by 11.59 p.m. Eastern, and uh, there really are no exceptions. You have to make sure your, your application is in on time. Uh, so go to brokenpoets.org, look under workshops, look under fellowships, and you'll, you'll see the link to submittable there. It's not a very complicated application process. I uh, just need to submit, I think, like up to seven pages of your poems and have a little cover letter. Uh, and uh, if you don't want to apply for a fellowship, or maybe you've already gotten one, or you don't need the aid, the early registration deadline for our workshops is Sunday, February 6th. Uh, workshops are filling fast, so I wouldn't wait. January is usually a time of the year when uh, poets uh, are committed to New Year's resolutions and writing again. I think, I think we've already filled like something like 36 seats in like a week of registration. So uh, it's moving quickly. Uh, don't deliberate too long if you're interested in a workshop. Last announcement, that same day, Sunday, February 6th, is the date of our first craft lab of the year, led by Rosebud Benoni. It is on, uh, it's an amazing uh, focus. It's on unapologetic candor. Uh, I think the subtitle is Pardon My Heart. Uh, it's a subject that I think Rosebud knows well, knowing her uh, as my friend. So uh, we're going to launch registration for that tomorrow. You can't sign up for it yet, but uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, check back and you should be able to, if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, you can do that to get all of our announcements or follow us on social media. Again, check out the Yawpcast. Uh, it is on uh, iTunes or any other place you get your podcasts and uh, subscribe, rate us five stars and uh, you'll help more people find these poets every month. Um, I think that is all the announcements I have. Oh, last thing, last tip. If you haven't uh, read for the open microphone and you want to do that, uh, I encourage you to sign up as soon as possible. You should be able to sign up for the February YOP right now. That one will be on February 14th, Valentine's Day. And it will be led by uh, one of our new teachers, Emily Cerniker, who's teaching this amazing looking workshop called Your Favorite, Your Favorite Poet's Favorite Poet which is a workshop that will be studying uh, how poets respond to each other. It's a, it's a great topic. It's a great focus. And uh, she tells me she's going to try to try to work in love <laughs> into the, the theme of that Yop workshop. She's going to try to do something with poets responding to each other, but also work in the love theme for Valentine's Day. So that'll be a cool one to check out if you're interested in the workshop. But if you want to read for the open mic, again, I urge you to sign up as soon as possible because usually the open mic lineup fills within a day, if that, sometimes it's like a few hours. So uh, get on it. Uh, it's great to see you again. Next time uh, we broadcast, I should be back in Beacon, New York. And uh, again, we're gonna be working on this new space for Brooklyn Poets right on Montague Street in the heart of Brooklyn Heights. Uh, gonna be taking up a lot of my time. Uh, my wife is having a real baby, <laughs> which is due around June. And Brooklyn Poets is also in a sense having a baby. So this is gonna be, quite a year. A lot of planning <laughs> that I have to do. 
and uh, but I'm good at that. So uh, I like the challenge. Um, all right. We will see you next month again, February 14th. Uh, send us those selfies or tag us on Instagram. We'd appreciate it. And uh, yeah, that is all. Thanks again to Bernard Ferguson for leading an amazing workshop and uh, go get your revenge poets if you want it. All right. We will see you next time. Take care. Bye. Right there, you have it. The Brooklyn Poets Yop for January tenth, two thousand twenty-two, featuring the brilliant Bernard Ferguson leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. Bernard, one of my favorite poets today. First, was introduced to Bernard's work by our amazing staff, who invited them to read for uh, one of our staff picks events. So, uh, thanks to my kick-ass staff for that uh and congrats to morgan boyle for winning yacht poem of the month again morgan was one of our finalists from 2021 but uh now she is a finalist for our 2022 yacht poem of the year contest for her incredible poem i wrote you a poem about cockroaches and i am sorry that you are dead now uh, a couple of announcements, things coming up if you're listening to this uh, on January 25th, the day it comes out, or uh, the last week of January. Uh, January 30th, this Sunday, is the early registration deadline for our first craft lab of the year with Rosebud Benoni. Get $15 off through January 30th, and that craft lab is on Sunday, February 6th. You can apply for financial aid uh, if you need it uh, through February 4th. February 6th is also the early registration deadline for all of our winter-spring workshops. You can get $15 off through that date. Our fellowship application season is over. We are in the process of reading those applications now, and we'll announce the new fellows on February 6th. But we've got a lot of exciting workshops coming up. Uh, the first few have sold out already, so uh, if you're thinking about registering, I would uh, recommend registering soon because once we... Uh, you know, award the fellowships. A lot of those available seats are going to get taken by those fellows, so uh, uh, don't wait too long. Uh, one of our first workshops uh, will be led by new Brooklyn Poets teacher Emily Cerniker, who's leading an amazing workshop called Your Favorite Poet's Favorite Poet. That's <laughs> a uh, really cool course she put together on uh, poetic influence. Um, and uh, Emily will be leading our next YOP on February 14th, Valentine's Day, uh, looking at uh, the influence of poets on each other. And uh, I think she is working on uh, a love theme as well. So uh, maybe we'll be looking at love poems in conversation with each other or influenced by each other. Uh, excited for that. Uh, if you want to sign up, go to brokenpoets.org. Uh, as you probably know, if you've yawped with us before, the open mic lineup fills very quickly. usually fills within a day or two of the previous yawp, uh, but you can still sign up for the workshop and get on the wait list for the open mic if uh, you haven't signed up yet. Uh, we'd love to have you. Again, we'll be doing the yawp virtually uh, for the foreseeable future. We are in the process of renovating our new and very first brick and mortar space at 144 Montague Street, Brooklyn Heights, but that, that space will not be opening <laughs> until uh, May or June, uh, I would say at the earliest and possibly even later. But uh, once we open that space, we hope to be yawping in person once again for the first time since 
the uh, began, pandemic began in 2020, which is, uh, man, it's almost two years now. It's crazy. Uh, but we appreciate all of you sticking with us, listening to the up, attending the up virtually, and listening to this podcast uh, loyally. We see all of the, the listens every month and uh, we'd appreciate if you uh, haven't subscribed if you'd subscribe to the opcast and rate us five stars it helps more people find these poets every month okay thanks for listening i'm gonna have some dinner and uh go to sleep after that but uh, thanks again for listening and uh we'll check in in february